Thank you for that wonderful introduction. So I will start by talking just briefly. Some of you who were here last year, I started off my talk last year, which was on the establishment of a licensure system in Montana, by asking this question, why do we trust our physicians? And the short answer is because we have regulation. We have a Montana State Board of Medical Examiners and a National Board of Medical Examiners. And that's why we go to physicians and trust that they're going to take care of us and they know what they're doing. So in 1889, the Montana Territorial Legislature passed and the governor signed a law requiring all people practicing medicine in the territory to register with a newly created Board of Medical Examiners. Montana, of course, was 89 as the transition year from territory status to state status. That body, the Board of Medical Examiners, was charged with granting or denying a certificate of practice, essentially a license, to any applicants who applied. All current practitioners had to submit their diplomas to the BME. I'll use that uh, abbreviation for Board of Medical Examiners. Had to submit their diplomas from their medical schools to the BME for authentication and to demonstrate that they had graduated from an acceptable medical school. If they did not have a diploma and had been practicing in the state for 10 or more years, they had to take an exam uh, before the BME. Any new arrivals into the state had to submit their diplomas and undergo a written exam. This new law also gave the Board of Medical Examiners the right to withhold or withdraw a certificate for practice from people uh, for specific reasons. For example, unprofessional, dishonorable, or immoral conduct, or for false and, uh, or deceptive advertising. The law was controversial. A number of practitioners didn't want to undergo scrutiny for a variety of reasons. Some were insulted that after many years of practice, they would suddenly now be judged competent or not. Some were angry that the diploma that they had received from a medical school was not sufficient to guarantee that they were competent. Some were concerned that their diploma from a, a diploma mill or otherwise fraudulent medical school would now be revealed and that they would be barred from practice. And some were upset that they might fail the exam, that they didn't know enough and so would be barred from practice because they failed to uh, display their knowledge. Some citizens and practitioners opposed to the new law claimed that regularly trained doctors were making a power grab to establish a monopoly over medical practice in the territory. And they further claimed that citizens did not need the government to tell them who were acceptable practitioners. They could decide whom to trust with their ailing bodies for themselves. So step back for a second and just give you a, an overview of where we are in the, in the state of medicine at this time, the late 19th century. This was a transition period in 
the, the history of medicine, the late 19th century. And I'm not going to give you details. You can see some of it up there. But science was becoming a, a part of medicine because the understanding of things like germs and cells um, and pathology, uh, a whole gamut of things that we didn't know before or thought people thought they knew now were entering medicine. And uh, you see names familiar to you, perhaps like uh, Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch or uh, 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 Joseph Lister there. So the result of this entry of science into medicine was that regulation of medical schools began to occur. And medical licensure, which in the United States had been uh, abandoned in the early 19th century, and so literally every anybody could practice medicine in the country, were now coming back as it was possible to test the knowledge of people um, and show that they understood medicine in the new way, in this new scientific way. Montana was undergoing transition, I guess you could say, as well. Uh, people were coming here uh, from other places. There were, of course, Native Americans who were already here, and then other folks from primarily the east um, and some from the, the further west were coming and settling the land. Montana was pretty much a land of migrants from other states and countries, and they came for, and I've got them listed there, some of the reasons, for gold and other precious metals, for cattle and sheep ranching, farming, timber. Uh, in some ways, Montana uh, was the Wild West um, in medicine as well, as we'll see. Anyone could claim to be a healer and not be challenged up until 1889. So back to Montana and uh, medicine now. There were all kinds of physicians, and I'm not going to go through each one of these groups here, but I've just given you a sense of the variety of people who claimed to be healers. The regular healers are the ones that were um, more uh, involved with science and under show understanding of science than the irregular healers. But even among the regulars, there were homeopaths, eclectics, um, and allopaths. So there were other groups. So there was justification and precedent for establishing licensure and a board of medical examiners in Montana and throughout the US. So that's a little bit of historical context. So why am I doing this project? What is this? Where, where did this come from? A few years ago, I came across a large ledger, ledger book at the Montana Historical Society. It was the Board of Medical Examiner's register of who applied for licenses. It started, uh, the book starts in 1889 and goes up to the 1940s or 50s, actually I'm not sure, but way into the 20th century. It's a real gold mine of information and gives us a snapshot of medical practitioners for me during the first years of statehood, but you can use it for beyond that as well, of course, because the book goes on well beyond the first uh, years of the establishment of the BME. 
my interest and the, the thing that I focused on were the first years. I went from 1889, entry one, through 1910, so about 20 years of licensure. There's all kinds of demographic information about who came to Montana to practice at that time. Almost everyone, including healers, as I've said, came to Montana from somewhere else. Very few were born here in Montana. The talk today is a preliminary look at the data. I'm still in the process of sorting through uh, some of the data, so this is not the final word. I'm not just going to stick with the statistics. I will try, assuming I have time, to give you a bit of uh, personal information about some of the physicians whose names are listed in here. What I did was to construct a, an Excel spreadsheet uh, using the columns in the register, and here you can see a close-up of them, name, age, where they practiced in Montana when they first started, when they applied for their license, where they went to med school, when they graduated from med school, the date of application for a certificate to practice in Montana, the date of the exam that they took, their score on the exam, whether they were granted a certificate and why. So lots of uh, wonderful information. And then I added some more columns uh, to make it even more complicated. Um, and here they are. I, I guess I don't need to say them all, but um, trying to fill in even more information. And then very importantly, I added a remarks column in my chart uh, where I could sort of freehand uh, give sources of information for some of the other data that I got, other data. So to learn more about each of the applicants, I subscribed to Ancestry.com, to Newspapers.com. I bookmarked and used other digitized newspaper services like Chronicling America, and our own Montana Historical Society, montananewspapers.org, um, and also used this book, Medicine in the Making of Montana, uh, Charles uh, Paul Phillips, uh, which is a book about the territorial physicians in Montana. So it stops in 89, but a lot of the practitioners who practiced, who got their licenses after 89, were already in practice and they were included in this chart. And then, with the help of my uh, colleague and co-speaker today, uh, Todd Harwell, um, I was able to contact the executive secretary of the current Board of Medical Examiners. Uh, and in his office, he had uh, another ledger book that contained the minutes of the BME, starting in 1893, including Specific, specific scores on every part of the exam, anatomy, physiology, uh, etc. So one could really go to town with this stuff. Um, my wife called my chart Charlie. <laughs> and she still does. She, she just stepped out. <laughs> I, wanted her, I wanted her to hear that she has allergies and she gets these coughing spells. So I feel badly that she can't 
be here for this little part of it. But she would, and still does, because I'm still working on it. She'll say, are you going to visit Charlie now? Uh, or why don't you give Charlie a rest and come have dinner or, or go to sleep or something? Because I really have become obsessed with this thing. And you can see with all that data, it's really uh, fun. It's a fascinating exercise. Each time I went to the next name in the chart, or when I'm going through some other materials now, and every time I come upon a new name, um, I, I begin digging into somebody else's life, a new person's life. And it's like meeting a new person each time because I'm looking at newspaper accounts and their ancestry, and it's just fun. Um, and I imagine it to be like a physician who enters an examining room. Uh, each time a physician enters an examining room, he or she is entering another person's world, another person's life, medical life, but still, you're entering somebody else's world, and in a way, that's what I feel like I do every time I start with a new person. So, I'm open to comments and suggestions. As uh, I said, this is a work in progress, uh, and uh, when I'm done, I will deposit Charlie uh, at the Montana Historical Society so that uh, others who want to do this sort of research and follow up um, or correct things or fill in blanks can do that. So far, I have 1,109 entries, actually more than that when I, since I've written this. Um, just keep in mind as we go through the statistics here that they cover physicians who applied for a license or who should have applied for a license. Uh, because the, the, the intention was that every person who claimed to practice, to be a practitioner, would have to show that they were qualified. But it took several years for all practitioners, um, both the legitimate ones and the fraudulent ones, to realize that the BME really meant business um, about regulating the practitioners of medicine in Montana. So there were a lot of scoff laws um, for the first couple of decades. People came into the state, claimed to be physicians, even after the law was passed, um, as late as 1900, 1905, and were uh, practicing without a license. Many, uh, okay, I've already said that. Yeah, said that too, okay, good. So let's um, look at Montana's early applicants and non-applicants uh, for licenses um, by the numbers, and then I'll tell a few stories. Lots of numbers, and I hope I don't bore you with this. Start with gender. Um, these are just raw numbers. So 37 females out of the 1,109, and 1,072 males. The average age was uh, 33 and a half and approximately the same for women as for the total group. The median age, that is where they're half above and half below the number, is 31. And the mode, the most common number, most common age was 27. Of all the applicants, about 40% were in their 20s, women about 30%. About 40% were in their 30s, women it was almost half, 93% were under the age of 50, 95% for women. So people weren't coming here to retire, okay? they came here to practice medicine. 
The youngest male was 21, the youngest female was 23, the oldest male was 75, and the oldest female was 51. Did they grow up in Montana? 28 of the 1109, or about 2.5%, grew up in Montana. But only 10 of them were born here. The others moved here as youngsters when their families did. Three of those 28 who grew up in Montana were female, one of whom was born here. So Montana was a state of immigrants for sure. The first native Montanan to earn uh, an MD at medical school and practice in the state was uh, Leroy Southmade, born in Virginia City in 1869. His dad arrived here in 1862. So he was a Montana pioneer. Um, Southmead was a, a graduate of the University of Michigan Medical School in 1892, practiced in White Sulphur, uh, and then in Virginia City. And then in 1898, when the uh, Spanish-American War broke out, he enlisted and went to the Philippines. And then uh, upon his return, went to Great Falls and spent the rest of his life in Great Falls. So where did these physicians or practitioners, uh, let's say because some didn't have MDs, uh, where did they come from? I can't give numbers of where their last residence was before coming to Montana, but I can tell you where they were born and where they earned their medical degree. So that gives us some proximity to when they came to Montana. The, uh, by region, the largest group was born in the Midwest, especially Illinois, Ohio, and Iowa. And if you add uh, Kentucky and Missouri to the Midwest as opposed to the South, Kentucky and Missouri are sort of border states, uh, almost half were born in the Midwest. The next largest group, about 15%, was born in the Mid-Atlantic region, especially in New York and Pennsylvania. Uh, about equal with the Mid-Atlantic region, and surprising to me, were folks from all parts of Canada, but especially Ontario. And then a 6% were born in <coughs> Europe. Where did they go to med school? Same thing, uh, a bit over 40% graduated from Midwestern medical schools, and if you include Kentucky and Missouri in the Midwest, over half, 55%, came from that section of the country. Next largest group, over 20%, were from mid-Atlantic region. And again, a substantial number came from Canadian schools. By city, Chicago graduated by far the most physicians applying for a Montana license, 20%, more than twice as many as from Philadelphia schools, which was the second most popular city, and three times as many as from New York. Did they come here right after med school? So at least a third of those who applied for a license did so within a year or so of their graduation from med school. And at least half of those who applied for a license did so within about three years of graduation, if you add those first two columns together. So many were ready shortly after becoming physicians to come and begin their careers in Montana which is kind of interesting that they had their sights set on Montana early after graduation. Where did they open practice? 
physicians who came during the territorial times logically went where the settlers settled, though some physicians came here not to practice but to mine and get rich. After licensure was introduced in 1889, uh, not much changed in the reasons physicians came, but cities had grown. Physicians came to the cities and to the countryside. Some came as employees of mining and railroad companies. They were railroad physicians. Some came to operate healing springs. Some farmed, ranched, ran drugstores, opened banks, got involved in other non-medical activities. All this is to say that physicians settled all over the state, as reflected in the BME ledger book. The ledger book gives the place where they first settled when they came to Montana, where they maybe intended to open practice. But many moved and didn't spend their careers where they first settled. Um, but I had to stick with that. So of the 1,069 valid responses that I could find in the book, approximately half settled to start with in eight towns and cities. And as you might guess, the biggest number were in Butte. This is a map from 1904. The next pop most popular city was Helena, which attracted less than half as many as Butte, about 8%. Missoula and Great Falls, sorry to fly through these, they're great pictures, aren't they? <laughs> Missoula and Great, these are in the Library of Congress uh, website. Missoula and Great Falls drew about 5% of applicants followed by Billings at 3.5%. And then, if you look at the top nine, uh, Anaconda, Bozeman, and Kalispell are top eight, round up the other cities in the top eight um, at just over 2% each. 178 other towns, military forts, Fort Keogh, Fort Assiniboine, uh, and mining camps in the state had at least one physician during this time period. Did they stay when they came? Oh, is, is this okay? I've a lot of numbers here. Uh, did they stay when they came here? My standard for that was five minutes. <laughs> okay. Uh, my standard was five years or more. If they stayed for five years or more, I figured they were committed to the state. Uh, of those who applied for permanent certificate, and took or took the licensure exam, almost two-thirds stayed five years or more. Of those who came within a few years of graduation, two-thirds stayed for five years or more. So those who had set their sights on Montana stayed for five years. Two-thirds of them stayed. If two-thirds stayed, then what about the one-third that didn't stay for five years or more? Why? Well, of course, some died. Some failed the exam and had to move on. Some were denied certificates based on attendance at an unacceptable or fraudulent school. Some had their certificates revoked for cause, false advertising, etc. Some left for greener pastures or because of business failures. Medicine is a business. You practice medicine, you do have to earn money. Um, some, no doubt, left Montana or their first jobs because life wasn't what they expected it to be. 
They found Montana too isolating, or the living conditions or the weather too harsh, or the mining company failed, or for personal reasons that we don't know. So lots of reasons why they didn't. Okay, exams. Starting in April 1891, all applicants for licenses had to take an exam. The exams were administered in Helena every April and October, twice a year. We don't have any records of the questions that were asked, but I do know that the questions were written on a blackboard uh, in the exam room, and that's why we don't have a record of them, because they were not permanent. Most who passed, took the exam passed on the first try of the 92 others who, who ultimately passed. Um, 67 had to pass it on the second try, and you can see the others. Uh, 128 who never passed the exam, most gave up after the first try, but 19 failed twice, 7 failed three times, or four times or five times before giving up. One was caught with a crib sheet. <laughs> Most of those who failed the Montana licensure exam wound up practicing in another state. But that says about the other states. <laughs> so where did they die? Another test of how long did they stay? I was interested to see if physicians who came stayed. Um, but another measure is to see where they died. Was it in Montana? I was able to find the place of death for 106, uh, 1,016 practitioners. One third of them, 36%, died uh, in Montana. Another sixth died in California. I won't say anything. Uh, <laughs> where many had retired. <laughs> uh, and almost 70% died in the West, that is Montana, the Mountain West, the Northwest, or California. So though most of the applicants migrated from the East and the Midwest, most died in the West and were buried in the West. Of the 902 who I could find burial places for, almost 40% had their final resting place in Montana and another about 10% in California. 60% were buried in the West. Uh, yeah. So my conclusion is that a majority of those who thought Montana was a good place to practice and live found that, that to be the case and remained. Um, gosh, I guess I'm not, the next part is my stories, and I don't have time. How about your favorite story? Um, okay, my favorites, well, these guys were, were frauds who said they went to medical schools <laughs> and didn't graduate. They actually, one guy said he went to a school, they wrote to the dean of the school in Europe and it didn't even exist. Um, this guy gave free exams to all, but there's one who, um, here we go. This is a guy who took the exam, but sort of stonewalled it um, and gave flippant, the, the DME minutes say, uh, responses. So one question, you can read it up there as I read it, one question was asked to the treatment of hemorrhoids. The doctor answered, set on a hot potato. <laughs> Some of the other questions and answers were, give prophylaxis of thermic fever, whatever that is. Don't know what it is unless keep, oh, what do you do to give prophylaxis to thermic theater? Don't know what it is except keep cool. 
And then the other one I highlighted, what is meant by the term cataract, uh, mention the varieties in treatment. And he says, what I don't know of these would fill volumes. <laughs> um, he did, you see, he sued the BME. He still thought he could qualify, and, and BME said no, uh, and he lost his, so. Um, so there's lots more I could say, but this whole exercise has been fascinating, and as you can see, um, it's unfinished, and there's much more that I can say about it, uh, and I will publish an article about it when I'm done. Thank you for listening.